0: just going to start with a song, so bear with me as I um, grab my guitar. And in probably 35 odd years of being on a platform, or well, actually more, probably more like 40 years or something, but anyway, um, I've never left my guitar case on stage before, so um, my apologies for that, probably no one noticed it, I thought I'd point it out, but um, very, very poor of me to do that.
1: Babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more. I think to myself, what a wonderful world.
0: Thank you. A wonderful world indeed, uh, a very beautiful world as we know and it's fully beautiful. We all marvel at creation and, uh, and so it's a fully beautiful world. In fact, this beautiful world we inhabit where we live here is, is the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people and, um, and so I just want to acknowledge them and, and pay my respect to them as we start this morning. It's a beautiful world, fully beautiful, but we're also very aware that it's fully broken and, uh, and I believe that God wants us to have our hearts pierced with the beautiful, how we marvel and wonder at so many great things in creation, but also to have our hearts pierced with the broken, with the things that break His heart this morning. And so nestled within all of this is the issue of justice. And what does it mean to be talking about justice in a world that is so clearly full of pain and suffering, in a world that doesn't actually look like it contains justice, and how do we connect with what we read in the Bible about God and what is actually happening in our world? We've got slavery again on the rise. You know, we have, I just read the other day, that actually we have forced marriages um, that are on the rise, even here in Australia. Um, we've got ongoing genocide around the world. We've got wars that have seemingly accomplished nothing that have gone on for years. And we've got ongoing wars and new wars all the time. So how do we understand justice? We don't even have a consensus over it. You have an idea of justice, and I have an idea of justice. But this week, as um, Wendy pointed out earlier, that it's Justice and Advocacy Week in the BUV calendar. And I was going to play a, a video from Daniel, but I'm going to skip that because actually Wendy read all the scriptures that Daniel refers to. Um, so I'm just going to move on. But you can find it on the website. If you go to the buvwebsite.com.au, as Wendy referred to earlier, you're going to find that introduction video, uh, video from Daniel. But also you're going to find... Um, Articles and videos and things on First Nations, creation care, aged care, asylum seekers, global poverty, family violence, homelessness. So there's plenty to choose from. And clearly we can't do everything. But it's good to have a basic grasp on a number of things and why they might be issues in our world. Um, As Andrew talked about before, I spent nearly six years in a role to do with Indigenous and non-Indigenous relationship here in this country. And I found it very challenging, but I learned an incredible amount um, in those few years. And I also got it wrong a lot, but I was fortunate enough to walk with some people who had great grace towards me, and, um, and I have some really great relationships. But I found that actually to engage in understanding more and relating more is very much a beneficial two-way street. And it's great that there are some great things, just hearing about all the great things this morning um, that are already happening through Mitcham Baptist, and I know that you've got um, local community engagement going on as well. So that's a great thing, and I'm just here to reflect this morning Uh, on my own journey as well through all of this. We read in uh, Psalm 28, the psalmist says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock, do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Anyone who thinks they're not being heard quickly descends into a, a downward spiral. If people feel they're not being heard, they actually end up in a pit that's actually very difficult to get out of. And injustice occurs when people aren't being heard and nothing gets done, but justice occurs when people are being heard and when those who can do something, do something. So not being heard is a very difficult thing. There are some great stories in Luke chapter 18 that I just want to reflect on this morning just to make some quick points, and I'm taking a different look at some of these things. First of all, in Luke chapter 18, the first, first story, Jesus I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out, another version says. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? My first point this morning is that the ark of justice is long. Martin Luther King, four days before he was assassinated in 1968, said this. He says, and he's talking about black rights in in the United States. He says, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Justice, the arc of justice is long, means justice is not going to come immediately, but it will come. At some point, the evil in this world will have a reckoning with God's justice. God's justice plays a part in the whole story of our lives. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about how we will, and you referred to this again this morning, Wendy. Um, Jesus talks this morning about how we will or we won't be rewarded according to how we've treated those who may have been calling out. And Jesus mentions that the, the, the poor and the hungry and those who are naked and those who are in hospital and in prison. And in Matthew 25, we see that actually like the story of the widow, we, we, we have the opportunity to do something that makes a difference. We actually have an opportunity right now. So even though the ark of long, was we, we, we actually are operating inside of that ark. And so we should already be those who have an ear to hear and an eye to see, because this is the nature and the character of God. And what he will do long term is what he's doing in the meantime as well, because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Psalm 10 uh, verses 17 to 18 says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, or the afflicted, another version says. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that humans who are of the earth will no longer cause terror. And the thing is, there's terror in the world which bends towards injustice. But to bend towards justice is to be grounded in the nature and the character of God. And all sorts of things in our lives are going to want us to bend in other ways. But this is God's consistent way throughout all the Old Testament and even through the New Testament. The through narrative is actually about God caring for the outcast, the widow, and the orphan. And it seems clear that this is actually one of his main job descriptions, and he passes it on to us as well. Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4 says, Vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. We also read in Psalms a number of times that, that justice is one of the, the, the foundations of his throne. And so, when there is injustice, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. Things are out of whack in the world because there is injustice. And so, this is about the here and now, it's not just when the ark of time runs out. Because we read that God is upset over injustice. He hates it when political rulers don't administer justice on behalf of the poor, the weak, and those who are margin, marginalized. And it re- we read because it is he, he is the defender of the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the immigrant. The role of Israel in the Old Testament was to be light to the nations. And now this is our mandate as, as Christ followers as well. We're here to be light and to be salt. And, and to be light is to, is to shed light on issues to be advocates, to have a voice, and to to be salt is actually to bring about the change that we can bring about. Salt changes stuff. And so this story of the widow tells us that justice will make up part of the big picture of our long narrative, our journey with God. It plays a part in his story, and it should play a part in ours. Justice is a long arc, but we should operate confidently inside of that arc, knowing that we are fully in God's will, attending to the things that are important to him. The second story I want to look at follows immediately from the first parable that Jesus read. And he said, And he also told this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. He said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people but he who humbles himself will be exalted. My next point here is the ask of justice is self-examination. We have a choice to examine ourselves by our own lives and putting our lives up against someone else or by actually holding them up against God and his kingdom at work here on earth. And we either justify ourselves or we throw ourselves on God's mercy and operate from that. When we understand mercy, particularly because all of us understand we are recipients of God's mercy, then we operate from it and we operate within it. And so for me to be engaged in justice, I must understand mercy. And for me to understand mercy, I have to understand humility. God doesn't look upon us with pity, but he looks upon us with love and compassion, including me, the wrongdoer. And so... We, we, we look at those, even the wrongdoers with mercy, which is a difficult thing to do, but we understand that they are part of this world that is fully broken. But issues arrive, arise when we justify where we are, like the Pharisee did, because we then automatically assign others to the justice that we perceive that they deserve. And so we say to ourselves, you know, I got here because I did this, I got here because I didn't do that. And we look at others going, well, they're, they're there because they've done that, and they're there because of this. And each of the people in this parable were, were sort of asking themselves who they were in relation to the world around them, but in different ways. And, and if we don't examine the privileges that we're accorded, we automatically assume that others are where they are because of choices they've made. And sometimes that's true, of course, we understand that. But we also have to realize that some people make choices because they didn't have any other choice. They don't have the same choices that actually we're afforded at times. And they may be operating in a system that is prejudiced against them. And this is one of the areas I was deeply challenged in when I was working in Indigenous and non-Indigenous relationships. Because what I realized is there's a lot that I don't understand about me and how I got to where I got to. And so humility plays such an important part. And it takes a lot for us to even think about undoing How we got to where we are. And I may be able to list a bunch of bad things that I'm not, but there might be a bunch of other bad things that I am that I just don't know about yet because I haven't run into them. And so we have to be ready to adjust. And so one of the things that I began to realize is that actually, what do I have to undo to understand the other? What do I have to undo to understand the person on the other side of the table? And what I realized is that if I don't understand them or their predicament or or their story, it's not their fault. It's my fault that I haven't asked enough questions, I haven't dug deeply enough to actually understand their story. How do I incline my ear in the same way that God does? How can I assure that someone has really been heard and how do I really learn to listen, which I'm still trying to do? And so what it becomes about is actually how do I... And I realized I'd have to suspend, suspend my own self-assumptions for a while. To understand injustice is to not justify myself. It's to self-examine rather than self-justify. And so I had to ask myself questions. What role do I play in any injustice I see? And what role might I play without causing further harm? And I was deeply fortunate to have a number of really great relationships that helped me along the way, but I learned the most when I began to understand my own thinking and to sit and listen without offering my own opinion, without offering my helpful thoughts, and without offering my solutions, but to sit and listen. I had one particular friend, great friend of mine, still a great friend, lives on Palm Island, which is off the coast of Townsville, and it's an indigenous community there, about three or 4,000 people. And, we, and we, we were in person a lot, I was up there a lot, he was down here sometimes, and um, we had a lot of, you know, probably once every couple of weeks for a number of years, i would be on a video call at least, and so often to have these conversations, and I'd say, oh Rich, I'd never thought of it that way before. So often, and I wish I'd written every one of them down, but just about every time I talked to them, I'd go, oh, I'd never thought of it that way before. Even just a few weeks ago, I was with him and he said something. And I was saying, why don't you do this? And he, goes, and he gave me his answer and I went, oh man, I never thought of it that way. It's just over and over again. So lots of little things. But a couple of the really big things that I learned that I had never, ever thought about before were white privilege. I had never thought about the privileges that were afforded me because of what, I was white. And I'd never thought about dominant culture before until I really began to hear about it from another person's perspective. Hello, I'm back. Oh. And I'd certainly never thought about how it had played out to my advantage over and over and over again in my life. And there's many, many stories of this, but there's a couple of quick ones I can share. I was just in Officeworks maybe three or four weeks ago, waiting in line to, be, to get something printed. And, um, and, and one of the young girls who came out to serve looked at me and said, hey, uh, can, I, can I help you? not realising that there was a young Indian lady standing right in front of me with a child waiting to be served. And the young Indian lady put her hand up and said, no, I'm here, I'm here, you know. And, and she said, oh, sorry. you know, and, um, and, and, and the young Indian lady, she kind of arced up a bit, you know, and said, no, I was here, I was here, you know. And I, I looked at her just going, oh, my goodness, there it is playing right out here in my own backyard. And some might say, well, oh, well, she just didn't see it. And I go, Exactly. Look straight to the tall white guy waiting in line without seeing the young and in just, I was just so surprised to see it right here in my own backyard, like, so blatantly. It was, it was incredible. Um, a number of years ago, I was flying out of Ethiopia and um, I was on my own and we'd done all our check in and we're waiting in the lounge to board the plane and they, they got me to come up to the service desk and go, oh, look, excuse me, sir. sorry, sir, we've, we've, we've overbooked the plane uh, and we're going to need to put you in business class. I went, oh, praise the Lord. I'm happy to go in business class. The Lord is with me, right? <laughs> you know, but it's only in hindsight that I realized I was probably the only white guy on the plane. And when they realized they'd overbooked the plane, they'd go, well, this is the guy we'll put in business class. That may not be the story, but that is actually the narrative that we're more likely to get those privileges. i never thought about those things before. And so like the Pharisee and the tax collector, I don't want to pray about what I am, or what I'm not, as much as I actually want to pray about. Who is it you want me to be, God, in this situation, in this space? And I travelled to Palm Island a lot, and and you know, and often the only white guy around. And I really, I'd, I'd try and find a space that God, who am I in this environment? Who am I really? Who do you want me to be? We have as much to learn as we have to give. And in terms of of this particular topic, First Nations understanding, um, there's a number of things. You can take a photo of this if you want, but on the BUV website, as I've already pointed out, there's a whole bunch of things, but there's a really great First Nations devotional that just came out this week that's really challenging, but it's really insightful and it's worth a read. Um, I used to work for Australians Together. There's a thing called Sharing Our Story, which actually helps understand uh, why we are where we're at in this country. SBS has a great series called First Australians, and I used to lead cultural awareness trips with my friend Richard. And and Richard's the one who actually suggested that anyone who ever came on one of these trips with us needs to read Riding the Black Cockatoo by a guy called John Donalis. And he's just a white fella talking about his own personal reconciliation journey. And it's really, it's a very simple, quick read, but it's really, really very interesting. It's profound. And then in in terms of broader. Things oh well actually just in terms of indigenous stuff still there's lots of things we can attend you can, there's rec week events there's nadoc week events there's a thing called survival day that happens every year on January the 26th up in Belgrave um, uh, there's other festivals that actually we are invited into and it's really important that we go actually to understand something it's important for us to be invited in and, and actually you know come into the story of others on a broader scale um, I've mentioned up there that Baptist World Aid I should have spelled that out sorry BWA but um, There's the ethical purchasing guide, which means that actually we can actually start making a difference straight away around the world because this is all about supply chains. And if the the supply chains are unethical, Baptist World Aid have worked out um, who benefits and who doesn't benefit. So it's really, we can do something straight away with those things. So, in this parable that I was referring to, the tax collector and the Pharisee, Jesus calls us to self examination and to humility. And we do that. Um, Because, you know, we do that as individuals, but also as collectives. You know, how can we, you know, as systems actually take the time to listen and to learn? And we can justify ourselves all we like, but some self-examination is the work we do in de-justifying our own positions in the world. The third story I want to have a look at, and I'm going to skip a couple here in in Luke chapter 18. There's a few more, but um, there's a story here where Jesus is approaching Jericho. And it reads like this, it says, And Jesus was approaching Jericho, as Jesus sorry was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what that was. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. My third point from this story is that the aim of justice is disruption. And there are three characters just quickly in this story. First of all, the blind guy, and in the blind guy on the side of the road, we see in him many attributes of those who are marginalised, and we can use the blind guy as a type, actually, of all the things we've mentioned, the First Nations, Peoples, Creation, Aged Care, Asylum Seekers, Global Poverty and Family Violence and Homelessness. The first thing about the blind guy was that he was used to being shoved to the side, because of the more important stuff going on. I mentioned Palm Island before, and Palm Island is originally the, 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 the nation of the Mamura people. And during the 1900s, all throughout the 1900s, it basically became a penal colony. White Australia policy, all these things it fed into this injustice that has occurred in this nation. and. And so over the, you know, through the period of the 1900s, they just anyone who did something wrong on the mainland of Queensland lived with the fear of being sent to Palm Island. And so what happened is that actually 41 different language groups ended up on that island. It's just a small island, it's just a small community, it's not far to go. It's like taking all of, I don't know, all of Europe plus some countries, putting them in a little thing and saying, you've all got to get on now. And so it became a very difficult place to live. And basically it was just a penal colony. And what was going on was actually we're just shoving people to the side who are in our way. And and, and the blind guy was used to this. Those who are marginalized are actually used to being shoved to the side. The other thing about the blind guy was he's used to being told to be quiet. And the voices of justice are often shut down by other dominant voices. But what the blind guy heard was the sound of hope. And he was very aware and picked up on the change. Remember in the story, he says, you know, what's going on? And the thing about people on the margins are, are generally very aware of the, acute, of the acute differences, the discrepancies of justice. I read a book um, a couple of years ago called No Friend But The Mountains by Bayros Bichani. And he was an asylum seeker who was on Manus Island for a number of years. And when you read this story... A highly educated guy who was just shut down, who was shoved to the side, and who was clearly wrestling through, but he was the issues of being there, but very aware of the injustices that were being uh, perpetrated on the people who were there. So people on the margins are used to this. And and so, uh, what we read about with the blind guy is that he was determined to be heard, and he was also prepared to disrupt. Which leads us to the second character in the story, and the second character is the crowd. And in particular, those who lead in the crowd. Our lives can so often be tied to the way the crowd is bending more than the way justice bends. The immediate noise and energy, the momentum, and we shape our lives, and I'm talking to myself here, that leave us little room for the other. We actually leave little margin for, you know, to stop and talk to the homeless person. We're in a hurry. You know, we've got to keep moving, those sorts of things. And so we walk into the rhythm that is set for us more than the beat of God's drum. And it says one of the most interesting things in this story that I find really interesting and quite challenging. It says that those who were leading the crowd were telling the blind guy to be quiet. And I thought, wow, these guys, this whole crowd can be in the presence of Jesus And miss the point of what Jesus wants to do. And not only that, but there are people leading the crowd. I think about how often I've stood up here and led worship. think about how often I've led teams. And I think about, gee, I could be leading worship. I could be leading all sorts of things in the presence of Jesus and completely miss what he wants to do on the side. I find it really scary. And so what that leads us to is the third person in this story. And that is Jesus who stops everything shuts the whole thing down and shuts down the march. He says, that's the guy I want to talk to. That's the guy I want to be with and calls him over. And so for us, it's about being prepared to adjust something. In fact, it's about being prepared to be disrupted. We have to have our own stories disrupted if we're going to do anything at all about justice. And at times, we actually also have to disrupt. We have to call some things out. We have to say, hey, I know more about that now, you know, and I've learned about this sort of stuff. And we have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in our own story that we miss the one that walks right through us. I had a couple of stories I was thinking about this morning of sharing. I had a really good story of one where I let my life be disrupted, but I thought I'm going to share one where I failed. And um, I was doing a gig a few months ago with, with a band, and we'd been out for dinner. Uh, we'd done a sound check, and we were, we'd come out... Um, We'd gone for dinner and we would coming out of the restaurant, we're paying, we're just sort of walking on, going across the footpath trying to find some Ubers to get back to where we're doing the gig. And uh, as we're doing that, this, this homeless po- person walked through and asked a question about where we were and, the, and, and we said, look, we don't, we're not from here, we don't really know where, where we can help you with that, you know, and, the, and this lady just carried on walking down the road. And about 30 seconds later, I turned and I looked at her engaging with someone down the road and I thought, oh man. Yes, we couldn't answer a question, but we could have done something. Didn't ask whether she had enough food, didn't ask, didn't, we could have got a phone out and, ask, and find to see if we can ask. We were so caught up in our own story, I realized I was so caught up in my own story, that actually I failed to miss one that was walking right through me, that was far more important to God than the one I was involved in. And so sometimes we've got to figure out how we shut out the noise and the narrative around us and be ready to listen to something other than the sound of our own voices. And the story that we know so well in Luke chapter 10 about the Good Samaritan is actually a story about someone who's prepared to be disrupted. Then the last thing I want to touch on just this morning, just as we finish up, is that the action of justice is about hope. The arc of justice is long. The ask of justice is self-examination. The aim of justice is disruption. But the action of justice is about hope. It's about the beautiful world, the wonderful world I sang about earlier prospering it's about that wonderful world flourishing it's about what God wants to do with restoration and redemption and God's justice not human beings injustice in the end will have the final word in history but we can play a part in that now the future belongs to God and it's a prophetic hope because sadly so many have lost lives because of injustice but despair makes us think everything is hopeless whereas hope helps us make a stand and believe that our actions can change the course of history. Our actions can change the the, the course of his story. And so hope makes us take action on behalf of the weak, the poor, and the vulnerable. People want to be heard, and they're looking for a response. And as people of of justice and advocacy, you know, we can take, we are those who have an ear to hear and the willingness to respond. The judge had to respond to the voice that was calling out. The lawmaker was not justified by his own voice. And the crowd were trying to shut down one voice, but in the end, all their voices were silenced. Hope is the voice of Jesus that can spark action and turn a a, a situation around. We have hope because we, we live with it and we're propelled by it. And we have hope for the long arc of justice serving the widow and the orphan and the outcast. There's hope for me, the sinner, who examines his life to play a role in this. And there's hope that individuals and even a crowd can be disrupted and change direction as we, the children of God, follow Jesus a little more attentively. And um, have we got time? Do you want me to sing a song just to finish? Great. Is that all right? Yes? No? You can leave if you like. We're all very much on this journey, and um, this is a song called Child of God.
1: I am not disqualified, I run my race to win. I am not personified by heartless graceless spin broken batted pause I've led but you now need me more what's been shattered your love will I'm a child of my God I carry this hope without shame I'm followed by mercy and forever you love me Yes, I am a child of my God. I carry this hope without shame. I'm followed by mercy. And forever you love me. Child of my God, I carry this hope without shame. I followed by mercy, and forever your love will
0: remain. Almighty God, today we thank you that we are your children, we thank you that we've received your mercy and that we will operate from your mercy and within your mercy today as we go out. Lord, help us to rise to the challenge of being able to listen to those on the margins, of being able to listen to others, to hear them truly as you would hear them, as you would incline your ear. God, today let us incline our ear. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that that brings, for the hope for the hopeless God today. And we thank you, God, today that we can be those who make a change and a difference in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.